0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Johnny McKeevan. And I'm rejoined once again by Will Lawrence Wilkins Brit. Written- and you've of course listened to him on the South Dakota Loves Benucci podcast on Spotify. They're probably raving in South Dakota but they aren't in England. Of course we're now speaking after the final has been played. Wilf, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm okay. We're
1: we're definitely going to need a name change, I think. (laughs) Full rebrand, yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you know, unless you want to start the "It's Coming to Rome" podcast, I think you you got to dip off Benucci pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, I, <laughs> um, I actually
0: feel terrible, Johnny. I don't know why I said I feel okay. I'm I'm gutted. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, England lost in the penalties on Sunday in the final of the Euro. It's their first final since 1966. The last time that you and I spoke, however, was a preview of the semi final matches. England had to take on Denmark and Italy took on Spain. I'd love to get your thoughts on our path through to the semis as far as England's concerned. And of course, let's start with the. Italy Spain match it went to penalties it was a very close match it was a very hard fought match I think Spain surprised a lot of people what was your takeaway from the semi-final Italy Spain
1: yeah that was a great game it feels ages ago now but that that was a proper kind of semi-final I think um, it reminded me I think someone on commentating in the UK said it kind of had a feel um, a bit like the Italy Germany semi-final from the 2006 World Cup and I thought that was that was apt because It was this kind of ding dong battle, both sides kind of regaining, then losing control of the game, a very even match. And, And yet, you know, akin to 2006, you always felt like the Italians had that one, you know, card left in their deck. You know, there was always they had. And I think what it came down to against Spain was the mental edge you know, in that penalty shootout, you saw Chiellini just absolutely alpha-ing Jordi Alba into oblivion with all those kind of, you know, face slaps and hugs and everything. And it, it, I think it came down to that really. Um, but no, that was a, probably
0: the highest quality game of the tournament, I'd say. And then for my money, I think the lowest quality game of the tournament was England-Denmark. It was, as a football fan, absolutely brutal to watch. And while it may be the best result I've ever lived through as an England fan winning a semi-final. Of course we made it to the semi-final of the last World Cup, but to actually win and actually earn a spot in the final, yet the win itself was so ground out and kind of, you know, tough to watch. I mean, the own goal was what, you know, what got us level. And then Harry Kane had an opportunity, a penalty, and he missed it. I mean, if, if Schmeichel smothers that ball and Harry Kane doesn't get it off the rebound, which is, of course, allowed in, in regular time, we wouldn't have had our winning goal. What did you make of England-Denmark, and how did you feel after the match, the way that we won it, going into a final? I I personally felt like we needed that kind of win, in a way. I think we needed
1: to go go down. We needed to go come from behind, um, having been kind of on the front foot the whole tournament um my impression obviously not in the moment I was fuming, but I think we needed that that goal to go in a kind of reset and be like, okay, how's our mentality? How's our you know physical fitness going through 120 minutes And I thought we we came through that and I think we really needed to to get to the final. that's how you get that's the difference between a semifinal and a final. I think those kind of games where the 50 50s are where you win the game. It's like where one on and, and against Croatia, we lost it in those 50-50 moments. And I think here, you know, you can speak about the penalty, whether it was a penalty, you know, a couple of other dubious decisions. But I think we got that run of the ball because we
0: earned it, I would say. And so then we've got a final to look forward to and and the lead up to it. And I think that, you know, you can make an argument that the best players for England in this tournament had been Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. And you can make an argument for Italy that their best players have been Chiellini and Benucci of defence. So attack against defence, what was your thought leading into the match? What did you think was going to be the key for England to be able to win? It was very difficult to have any kind of cogent
1: thought before the game, I have to say. It was like that, kind of, I really had no idea what to think. Um, you know, just vacillating between kind of like hope, you know, excitement and then just pure terror. Um It's funny you say Chiellini, Benucci. I actually thought in a way, in a way, I thought they would get, you know, I thought they've been incredible throughout the tournament. And yet I think you saw, particularly in that Spain game for that one moment, that Morata goal, you saw how they can be get at in the sense that if you draw them out, they cannot play with their, you know, they want to be in front of goal, pushing you back, pushing you back. But as soon as they turn to like be on the half turn and you have those runners in behind, it was it was so easy for Mrat to get in behind once Collini had been drawn out because there's no way he's catching him. And so I thought they were they were gettable in that way. And then but at the other side of the pitch, I was terrified of Federico Chiesa. And I think that that bought out immediately in the final. You know, I thought. He's been probably the most like potent attacking player at the tournament, I would say, even having not started the first four games. I just think whenever he's looked, whenever he's got the ball, something happens. He's that kind of player. Um, and I think he's been like that at Juventus all season. Um, it's another
0: thing to do that in the European Championships, obviously. So only a few minutes into this final, we have a pass from Harry Kane to Tripp here on the wing. incredible ball from Trippier and the goal from Luke Shaw what did you think only three minutes in we've got our first goal what was your first thought after that went in firstly like
1: obviously we scored way too early
0: I think that was (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: like an obvious you know thing um I think it's the earliest anyone's scored a goal in a final um in in in, in European championship history so um Obviously, you know it's an incredible moment, and also I think an incredible goal. Like truly, that like the cross is one thing, but the finish, the technique on that volley from Luke Shaw is, is unbelievable for his yeah. for his first international goal. That that was sensational. But I do think you know in hindsight there was an I, well I say in hindsight I actually think after the goal for the like twenty minutes after the goal we really we were looking so solid we were controlling yeah. the game the Italians looked rattled we were still we weren't sitting back we were right. still pressing forward I thought Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips in the midfield were unbelievable in that first half particularly Rice actually just yeah doing all the things that his detractors say he can't in like running taking tackling the ball taking it and then running forward with it I thought his, his running with the ball was amazing And yeah, I thought so for that kind of first opening half an hour, I thought we were we were incredible. And then obviously that the mindset started to shift kind of naturally,
0: understandably. Um, And from there on in, it became a different game. It was kind of, you know, it's a cliche, really, but it kind of was a tale of two halves. We looked like a completely different team when we came out on the pitch in the second half. There was there was lack of that midfield control and Southgate started doing all sorts of tactical substitutions toward the end in the middle. And, you know, we can kind of get into all of that, but Benucci puts the goal in the back of the net in the 65th minute. And we had looked really shaky all the way leading up to that. What did you make of the finish on that goal? A bit, bit crunchy, (laughs) bit of a, yeah,
1: it's just, it's a scrappy one, isn't it? Um, Yeah. I'm sure they would call that kind of English on the continent. I would imagine. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I thought, I mean it was coming, wasn't it? That's the thing, right? right. It, there That's was an right. inevitability to that goal. Yeah, to, to concede it in that way. I mean, I think the the like the lost aspect of that goal is that Pickford makes a great save before it gets save. to Banucci. Great save. And I think he had an unbelievable game. It's tough because you know, in time, hindsight, you can say, What well, what could you have done at halftime? And the answer would be try to assert yourself in that front foot way and really try and like double down on the on your your advantage. I think that's so hard to do as a coach. I really do. I think it's like, it's almost, it's so against your nature to do that when you are 1-0 up in the biggest game of your life that I, you know, I'm not sure I'd have the the stomach to do that. Um, but we just lost, we seem to lose, A, all our energy. And all, I mean, I have to say, I was thinking a little bit, I was talking to a friend earlier and I was thinking a bit about the Champions League final, the Chelsea, this Chelsea Champions League final, in which we scored Fairly early as well, um, and then look to protect that lead. But the difference was our, our defensive press right through the team was so, so consistent right through that second half that City, yeah, sure, they had chances and it can always go either. But like we really snuffed out a lot of the, like City's um, attacking kind of threat. And I think the difference was in this game is that, that England's attacking line. We're never really getting up to the to the midfield and the defence, um, and when you've got players like Chiellini, Bonucci, Veratti, Jorginho, who can all pick a pass, who can all thread, you know, through the the eye of a needle, um, that's just gonna it's gonna pay off, you know, at one point, isn't it? And and there just seemed to be a slight lack of impetus that kind of cost us in the end, yeah, at least in that second half for sure.
0: you make of some of Southgate's substitution decisions? The one that really stuck out to me that was just a bit, I don't know, it, it just seemed odd, was taking out Declan Rice for Jordan Henderson, a kind of similar, you know, central midfielder, defensive midfielder position. But then to take him out then, not I mean, what was it, only 30 minutes later for Marcus Rashford. Jordan Henderson didn't really have a particular role at this tournament and didn't really ever ground himself in the the heart of the team. I feel like you look at years past, you you know, you never take out Lampard or Gerrard and he kind of fits that mold of that type of player but obviously doesn't have the same kind of finishing ability or whatever else and Southgate made the decision to play him in the role that he did. What did you think of those substitutions, particularly the Henderson one and then leaving so much, you know, onto the backs of young players like Jadon Sancho and Saka?
1: Yeah, I think the Henderson one is interesting. Um, I would imagine that I, I would imagine, you know, in trying to relate to Southgate, that that probably was a pre-game thing, and kind of mm-hmm. you know, Declan run your heart out for sixty minutes, and then Henderson with the experience kind of see at home if we're one, you know, we're with all those kind of caveats, you know, if we're one nil up with sixty minutes gone, Henderson comes on, he's got that experience, he can try and shore things up, you know, maybe give the 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 team a boost, you know, that kind of, and he is a leader, he's shown that at Liverpool. So I would imagine that, yeah. But you're right; he never really got a hold of the game. Um, And I was a little surprised, as you say, that he then got subbed off again, which is it's been a feature of this tournament. We've seen that Mm -hmm. Southgate's been unafraid to do that. Um, And I can only think that he was taken off because of the penalty miss against Colombia at the World Cup, and that he didn't want to take it. I mean, that's the only explanation for because, like. You know, and then we're starting to get into the you know the penalties and all the rest. Um, and I think because for me, Rashford coming
0: in for Henderson yeah. is probably a tactical decision for Marcus to p- be taking a penalty, he and that makes sense to me. I think Rashford minute,
1: yeah, Rashford is one of our best penalty takers. He's a penalty yeah. taker at United at his club. Yeah. He, he he's definitely so that makes complete sense. The one that doesn't make sense to me in that regard is Sancho, um, yeah. because he's hardly had a kick in this tournament. Um, he did not have a kid, you know, and and he's at a different point in his career than Rashford. Rashford has been to an international tournament. He has, you know, scored a goal in a shootout at the World Cup, um, and he's scored other pressure penalties, you know, the, like the one against PSG for United in the Champions League. He's he's played in those big moments and he's come through. That makes total sense to me. Sancho has not done that, and. I think, I mean, it it gets obviously penalties is such a kind of mystical art, and it, it, you know, it's very easy to say things like this after losing one. But there is something about a kind of, I always kind of think you want someone, you want this kind of rudimentary level of just hit, you know, just hit it, get your laces through it. And, you know, so which is why I think weirdly a lot of kind of center halves and even goalkeepers nowadays make for great penalty take. you know there was no way Leonardo Bonucci was missing that penalty and there was no way Harry Maguire was missing that penalty um and so I think you know you can get into the art and I'm sure you know Sancho's a better ball striker than than John Stones yeah than John Stones but he he got a bit cute with it and it was I think his you know I I don't really want to You know, have a go at any of the players. I think you know, it takes an unbelievable bottle to take. You know, a bottle that I've you know couldn't even conceive of. But he did try and get a little bit cute with it, and I I think maybe someone else wouldn't have. You know,
0: may I I, and I. Yeah. You've le my my big thing is, and I and I don't want to criticize any of the players either, because like you say, I think that's a a perfect phrase. It, it, penalties are a mystical art. I almost think they're uh, you know, a kind of social experiment. I mean yeah. it's just it's like an absolute torture chamber of pressure and you know, in those moments you want to just lean on somebody and say, just put your foot through it and don't get in your head about it. And the Marcus Rashford penalty when I the stagger step started happening, and he took so long behind the ball, I I filmed the moment. I I literally started saying, "Oh no, oh no!" I knew it wasn't going to be good. I just knew it. Yeah. And then to and then to have, you know, the plan for bringing in Saka, bringing in Sancho, bringing in Rashford to take penalties, and then to have the pressure of a fifth penalty to be on Bukayo Saka, a nineteen-year-old kid, I think is is a managerial misstep because in every sport I ever talk about on this podcast or think about or whatever the manager's role is very simple and it's to put the posi- the players in the best position for success i don't know why saka is taking that fifth penalty i understand marcus rashford coming in i understand sancho coming in and it's kind of a coin flip between him and jack grealish and jack grealish has come out on twitter and said i did want to take a penalty i want to make that very clear lots of conversations probably gone on about who could or would take penalties. It came down to Gareth Southgate's decision. And he decided to pick Jaden Sancho over Jack Grealish. That's a coin flip. That's, that's a tight, that's a tight decision to, to, to have Saka be the fifth penalty taker. Why not Kane? Why not Kane? Why not? Why not Harry Maguire? Why not somebody who's been in a shootout before, who's has the kind of wherewithal to have this moment. And the truth is that the, the whole thing will be overshadowed by the fact that Jordan Pickford had an incredible game and an incredible shootout kept us in the shootout that Same, save against Jorginho was unbelievable the save unbelievable. against Jorginho is one of the best penalty saves I've ever seen he he had an incredible game it will all be overshadowed by that you need you need two things in a shootout you need a keeper who wants to be there and we really had him in pickford incredible incredible display from him but you need somebody in those finals in those final 5 in those first 5 kicks that you really trust because you can't guarantee that you're going to get further down and say, oh, then we'll have Sterling kick six. Why isn't Sterling taking a penalty?
1: Yeah, I find
0: that I find the Sterling and Grealish. Well,
1: obviously, Grealish has come out on Twitter. I, I don't really know what to make of that. Um But I think, yeah, I, I think you are looking to Sterling, yeah, even John Stones, as we've mentioned. Um I think another thing is like Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw, Shaw, could yeah. take- Luke Luke Shaw, Shaw scored scorer. a goal.
0: Yeah, goal scorer assist earlier been an inc- unsung hero of this team yeah um even even actually i was talking
1: about this with a friend like jordan pickford he's taken a penalty before in the nation's league we've all <laughs> seen how he can hit a ball like yeah. I, you know it's like half a joke but like seriously the guy is a ball striker we've seen you know edison and allison do it um for that for their teams and i think you know goalkeepers are technically proficient enough to do that um yeah, I think it's so tough on Saka. I mean, my thought immediately and in the kind of moments after was kind of, he must have been seventh or eighth. And the way the game played, like as in beforehand and the way the game played out and who was on the pitch and who wasn't, he he became the fifth penalty taker and then didn't shy away from it. And he kind
0: of, there was no, but, but over like Raheem Sterling, the leading goal scorer for our team. I, I, I know I yeah. went on about Jack, the the Jack Grealish and Sancho is kind of a coin flip, but in that fifth spot, it's Raheem Sterling for me. You know, it's it's so it's so obvious to me, at least. Or I I, I thought have Harry Kane go in a, in a later spot because, you know, you're getting five kicks and you know, you need someone in that fifth spot to maybe do, some, you know, keep us in a tournament why not have somebody with the experience? Have Saka go first if you're going to have him kick one. But I just don't... That is that is the one link. And I don't... And it's not me having a go at Saka. And it's not really... It's just a question to, to Southgate. It is a questioning of Southgate and this decision-making. And, you know, penalties are a mystical art and whatever else. And, you know, you've not seen Saka take a penalty. Maybe the keeper has no you know, not watched any Arsenal matches and wouldn't have any idea where he would go or how he strikes the ball. But... It is a huge question for me. And I know we've jumped into all the penalty stuff. I did want to ask you about the Chiellini tackle on Saka. Um, grabbed him from the back of the shirt. I can't remember what, at what point in the game it was. It was in extra time though, because that's when he had come in. What did you think of that foul? I mean, obviously, the commentator said immediate yellow card. But I was screaming for a red. What did you think? Yeah, I think it's one of those
1: where... There's almost the fact, like I think a friend said, if that was on a Sterling or a Kane, it might have been a red. But there's something about Saka; he's a he's a less experienced player. He's a younger player. He's more diminutive. He's 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 naturally going to be. I think he's a personality who will naturally ask less for for that kind of challenge than another player. And I think, mm. and it was like almost Kiolini had a free pass in that sense. Um, I thought it was. I think it's like a, maybe a kind of orange. You know, you've seen them given kind of thing. I think if it, if that was Harry Maguire on Chiesa, I, w- I would be probably pretty pissed off with the red if that kind of, you know, if that suddenly changes the game. Um, yeah. But I will, really. I, I think that's fair enough. But I will also add that I thought there were enough of those kind of 50. I thought even more so personally, and I don't know if this was true. Um, I haven't seen it back but I thought the Jorginho one on Grealish was was nastier and I think you've definitely seen them given in the Premier League as a red card. When you know, he, and I think we've seen one even in this tournament where someone gets the ball, gets the front, top of their ball, their foot on the ball and then follows through to a shin and, the, and in this occasion Grealish it was it was on the thigh. Um right. that's so high up. So I thought and then I think there was there was one other moment I'm pretty sure um maybe a tackle on Declan Rice or something. So there were kind of three of them and it felt like with that like the amalgamation of all three surely you get one kind of thing um but i think you know in the difference to that's what separated this in the final from the denmark game is that in the denmark game we got those 50 50 decisions and i think in this game it's fair to say we didn't um i will also say you know i mean i know we're, we're switching back and forth but like i think there's an elephant in the room in the shootout discussion and that is um donnarumma who is a literal <laughs> elephant in goal when it comes to penalties you know he he covers so much of that and it just must be terrifying to face him in a shootout i, I think he's he's been in five and never lost and you can really see why because wow. I, I don't think there's anyone you'd want more in terms of just putting the fear into a, a a taker's you know mind when they see just how how you know long he is and how what you know it that like yeah I, I, and I thought he was he was again great throughout the game. Definitely deserved. Um, I think he got Player of the Tournament, didn't he? Which is, I think, I think mm-hmm. fair enough,
0: well deserved. In, in that vein, you know, he, he he what he did perform incredibly. And while we lament the choices of Southgate and the penalty kicks and you know the elusive nature of it what do you think the biggest highlights for italy were in this tournament of course you know they've got a keeper who can keep them in the tournament through two penalty shootouts but they they played some fantastic football throughout this yeah. tournament what do you think of italy then yeah i think they um that it culminated
1: in the spain game which we spoke about but they they showed they showed that actually maybe maybe actually the belgium game in a way i thought that in terms of their attacking football that was as good as it got probably you know in the entire tournament in any game Um, I think I was just as you were asking that question I was kind of thinking of the different you know routes the two teams took and I think you know I think obviously you can overanalyze these kind of things but I think the way in which they built their tournament they had a relatively easy group but got obviously a lot of confidence from kind of smashing every team that they played Um, and then they got that that tense game against a lower opposition in that Austria last 16 they got that out the way early they were able to build that they won that in extra time after a really kind of stodgy 90 minutes they kind of blew Austria away in extra time and then they kind of gra- they had this gradual okay Austria you know phase one Belgium phase two you know Spain phase three kind of really climbing up the ladder whereas I think in a way England England peaked in the last 16 with that Germany win and then kind of so they they hit like kind of you know phase three in the last 16 then phase one against ukraine and then phase two against denmark and so i i think italy had and and whether england would have beaten those teams or whatever you know maybe we wouldn't maybe maybe that's how we the only way we could get to the final but i think once you've had that experience of really going up through the ranks every stage in the tournament beating all the best teams that there are you know there's no question that Italy one one of the two best teams in the tournament i think that's the case for england too but i think there was uh they tested themselves more italy um and maybe that 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 bore out in the final moments but again it's penalties isn't it so who knows
0: Phil Foden was injured and was unlikely to make the final and he didn't make an appearance. Do you think that, barring injury, he might have played a role that, say, Sancho did or Saka did? Or do you think yes. that his tournament was defined by that Scotland game? I think that, you know, people kind of got on him for that Scotland draw. And you know, weirdly, the the, the criticism of that match was partly on him, which I found odd because I thought that he, I, I really enjoy watching Phil Foden. I think that he could have made an impact. Do you think without that injury, he's coming in in the final? I I
1: I would imagine that he was in that Sancho substitute role. I would imagine that he'd be taking a a penalty. He would have taken that Um, spot, and then yeah, yeah. yeah. I think what's interesting about Foden is I think he's probably he may have been on form going in. In fact, may have been. I think he definitely was on form. England's best player coming into this tournament, Um, as in in the squad. But I think that doesn't necessarily translate to international football in that way because it's a different system you know at City it is all geared to those front three and and it's been in the last six months it has been all geared towards Phil Foden he's been by far their best player in the last six months Um, but Southgate plays a different way and England play a different way and they're a different team and I do think Foden hasn't quite crafted out a role in this team yet um, and I I understand why stuff, you know, I understand why Sterling doesn't start ahead of him at Man City and starts ahead of him for England. I think it makes tactical sense. Um, and you can see what Sterling provides. Um, and what Foden and maybe Grealish to a lesser extent, I think Grealish has come on and made an impact, but you can see why those kind of players aren't as suited to this team. Because I think in the case of Grealish, he's more of a hero ball kind of player, like, give me the ball, I'll make something. Um, and I think Foden is. He needs that that second of space and he needs a few more kind of it's, it's essentially similar. That's why they've been playing with that false nine at City, because they're all kind of the same type of player and they can all play in the same way, which like reflect you get those triangles, you get those quick passes, and then suddenly boom, you're in on goal and Ferdinand's had a real killer instinct. But I don't the, the tempo is just not the same in international football. So I think I am sure he will play a massive part going forward for England. And I would imagine he'll be a, I'd hope he'd be an you know. Uh, a definite starter at the World Cup in Qatar, but I think he has been a bit of a miss in this tournament. And I obviously he's had injuries, and I think other players have come. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. Other players have come in, your Sackers and your Sterling's, and really, you know, stamped their name on this team. They've completely earned the place. So, yeah, I think it's tough for him,
0: but I'm, I'm sure he'll bounce back. I think that Sterling really deserves to wear the number 10. I've been thoroughly impressed with him throughout this tournament. You know, like you say, he doesn't start for Man City, but, and Phil Foden does, that makes tactical sense, but that he would be a starter on the England team does make sense. What did you make of Raheem Sterling's tournament? And, you know, what did you make? A big thing for me was his partnership and the way that he was able to work with Harry Kane. What did you think of Raheem's Euro 2020?
1: I I thought, I think he was our best player by far. Um, And I was really happy with him because, well... Firstly, I bought his shirt on a whim at the Nike store, like the day before the tournament, I was like, you know, vying for other people. And then I was like, actually, I had this kind of epiphany, no Raheem Mm -hmm. at the counter. (laughs) Um, And so obviously that's paid off. Um, But far more importantly, I think he's really shown a lot of, you know, detractors completely up, to be honest. I think he's been, he's been everything that people say he isn't in that he's been a goal scorer. He's been a provider and he's, He's he's been England's like real thrust through the tournament. He's been our one constant that like, give him the ball, he will run. And like, I think he had a quiet first, maybe 60, 70 minutes in the final. And then I thought in that, going into the final stages of the 90, and then especially in that second half, the extra time, I thought he was doing all the things that we've seen him do, you know, really running at Chiellini and Benucci. And anyway, okay, it may have been a little too late, but I think he, he gave them a real go. And I actually think the whole team... Having been on the back foot for so much of the second half, um, I was really proud of us in extra time. I thought we we kind of reversed all of those tendencies to sit back. I thought we really got on the front foot. And we were if anyone was going to score an extra time, it was going to be us. Those surging runs from Sterling were a huge part of that. And equally from the back, Harry Maguire, who also had an unbelievable game, was just doing the same thing, uh, you know, a, a phase earlier in the field. Um
0: yeah, and, and they, they were our main thrust throughout the competition and the final. I think Luke Shaw also played an absolutely paramount role in this yeah. entire tournament. He, he put his stamp on this team. And Kyle Walker, incredible from the back. And his pace, being able to get back on defence, he had an incredible tournament as well. Those are, those are kind of my three real highlights. I mean, Harry Maguire and Harry Kane are very close to it. But I think the, the three that I was most impressed with was Sterling, Walker and Shaw
1: yeah yeah and i think all three of that was so impressive about all three of those players that they've all been under the cosh Um, exactly right yeah they've all been doubted um and i think they they completely proved you know they just proved themselves right i think more than anything um yeah i think walker and and they all do kind of one thing better than anyone else almost in the world in that i think particularly like Walker. He is the best recovery. He's almost, he's like a, the modern day version of a sweeper and he is the the best version of that because there is no one f- uh, faster at recovery runs in world football. And that is such an asset regardless. what I mean, and I've, there's been times when I've questioned his attacking intent. And I think there are so many times where I, he has a great position to cross and he doesn't, and he hesitates, but you sacrifice that with the knowledge that you are having the best person for that job in, in when, when it comes to tracking back. Um, and I think Shaw's, you know, done the same. He's proved that as as an attacking as attacking wingbacks come,
0: you know, that they Who's better than him at the moment? He, he unbelievable. I uh, also want to talk about, of course, we're both Chelsea fans. We might as well have a little chat. What did you think of Mason Mount in the tournament? And of course, talking about the two kind of wingbacks for us, you know, there was no getting Kyle Walker or Luke Shaw off the pitch to make room for Reece James. Do you think Reece James is going to have some sort of role in this England squad? And then, of course mason mount had a huge role in this tournament
1: yeah i'm sure reese james is time and you know it would be interesting to see how long Carl walker's legs last because i think as soon as they start to go he'll obviously lose that huge asset and then become a a kind of lesser player um i think reese james is is perfectly fitted to replace him in that team um i think he does a lot of similar things albeit he's a far better offensive player um Mm -hmm. so i think that's that's promising for england um yeah, it's been a weird tournament for man. I think he got a little bit screwed by UEFA, frankly, in terms of that, those, um, that quarantine thing, which yeah. was just a bit ridiculous. I mean, like the fact that you're 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 isolating a player because he hugged his teammate. Meanwhile, the entire Scottish team is obviously doing the same to their man of the match and his first international, you know, right. as if every Scotland pair isn't doing exactly the same. Um, and they all tested negative anyway. Um that was just a weird. I think they were just covering themselves in this quite strange way, mm-hmm. um, and and I think there's no way that didn't affect Mount's momentum throughout the tournament. How could it not?
0: Right. Um,
1: but I think even with that, I thought he was great in the final. And actually, well, I say I thought he was great. I didn't really notice him that much except for his You know, he's one of the best like off ball presses in world football. I think. But my friend who was at Wembley just was kind of gushing over him in that kind of paying a bit more attention, um, to at least to the off-ball stuff, a much better view, obviously, of the entire pitch. And I think he was having been a bit of a skeptic of him, he was just, you know, nothing but praise for, you know, his ability to press off the ball is almost second to none. I think we saw that in the for his position and he's such a modern day variant of his position he's this kind of you know version of a number 10 that wouldn't be seen 10 years ago it's just not what was thought of as a number 10 i think he's completely made that kind of position his own now and i'm sure there'll be loads of kind of coaches trying to find a mason mount for their team you know because he's so valuable we've seen you know now time and again three coaches this year just kind of completely rely on them rely on him and and those skills um yeah, I'm not sure he showed his best um, stuff, but I think he's just consistent, isn't he? That's the thing about Mason Mount. He just knows how to deliver that. He, he will always be your best off-ball presser. I think the problem in England maybe is that there weren't enough people around him doing that same job. Kane and Sterling just aren't built that way um, off the ball. Um, but yeah, I think I'm sure he'll be a key, key player at the World Cup in a year and a half.
0: it's very hard to do this it's less than 24 hours since the result obviously but what can you take away from this tournament as far as England is concerned and, and what do you think as you look toward the future of this team and the our, our chances at Qatar yeah i think
1: what's what's the positive about this 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 game and and this as opposed to the world cup uh yeah 2 years ago or 3 years ago now is that I think we deserved, we deserved to be, we were the one of the best two teams at this championship. Whereas we, you know, give or take, we could have been the fourth or fifth best team in the world cup. Um, and we got a lucky run here. We had a little bit of that luck, but we beat Germany for the first time since 66 mm-hmm. in a major tournament. So that that is just obviously different. And we got to our first final since 66. Um, so I think there's a, there's a different feeling uh, around that. I'm, I'm much more confident about the World Cup now than I think I was before the tournament. I mean I think it's quite hard to think about that kind of thing, but I think we've definitely earned our place at the kind of top table of international football. Um and I do think you only need to look at the kind of the the recent Copa America final between Brazil and Argentina to see that at the moment those teams are a kind of step below. These teams. Now that may change in the next year and a half, but I kind of doubt it. You think, you know, yeah. Messi's not getting any better. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that those neither of those two sides and countries are producing the talent that they have been in the last, you know, ten years previously. Um so I do think The Euros is a great bellwether for the World Cup. I think Italy are, you know, one of the two best. Clearly, one of the two. I think them and France are the two best teams in the world right now. And I would put England right behind those two teams. Yeah. Um. So I'm confident. I'm. I'm. You know. Obviously, this really hurts. Um. And the manner in which it happened really hurts. But I feel all around really great about this team and what 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 they did for the for the country for for a month. And I I think perhaps uh, as opposed to a kind of France or in Italy, I think we'll only get better um, because we mm. just have all the, you know, Foden will come into this team. Mount will be a better player in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, Rhys James coming through. So I, uh, yeah, you know, Trent Alexander on, Arn- yeah. Yeah. To come back, you know, Joe Gomez, who's been injured. I think he's yeah. a really great. He would center. have been a so, big part of the back five. Yeah, situation. exactly. I think, I think it can only get better. Um, so, yeah, bring bring on Qatar 2022. I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know the thing that's that's tough for me about watching England and why I also enjoy it so much is I've I've, I've put a lot of kind of childhood emotional investment in the success of this team. I always love supporting them and the kind of elusive nature of these tournaments. How you know the the kind of qualities that you need to be to be a, a star team, and we've always been quote-unquote a star team that just have been on the wrong end of a lot of results and to have this success of this tournament has been so fulfilling in so many ways but what's been the most exciting is how these young players have been talked about and I'm obviously you're you know you're in London I'm here in Los Angeles and I've been watching all of the coverage on ESPN and I will say ESPN's done a wonderful job of covering the Euros Uh, with commentary afterward and before as well. Um, The way they talk about England, it reminded me of of when Fernando Torres kind of burst on the scene with Spain and how everything seemed to be electric with Spain. It seemed like everything was electric with us. This kind of promise of Mason Mount, Phil Foden's really exciting. You know, here, here comes Raheem Stern really showing up for this team. And I think somebody that we've not really talked much about that I'd love to talk about in this, you know, in this kind of final moment is the captainship of Harry Kane. What do you think he means for this team and what do you think you see of his future? I mean he's he's already brought us to a semi-final in the World Cup and now a final of a Euro leading into Qatar. It's, he's he's going to be our captain without doubt. What do you make of Harry Kane? Yeah, I
1: think he's he's maybe pound for pound um in t- positionally in, in in terms of world football are like our greatest asset. I think there's a um, you the the two he's in that bracket of Lukaku and Lewandowski at the moment. Um I think there is a certain aspect um about him. I don't think we get the best out of him that we could. I don't think we give him enough chances, at least as much as he's used to at Spurs, which is really weird because we are a better team than, than Spurs. Yes. You know, yeah. I don't really understand how that happens. Um but
0: I think yeah, with, I, th- I think it's like with Son and the team is kind of built around supplying Harry. Yes. Whereas, whereas when Harry looks to his left and right, here they're guys that can supply for themselves. You know, yeah. Raheem yeah. Sterling can create out of you know a goal out of thin air, and I think that you know Harry needs a bit of support. But then again, when you give him even the slightest bit of support, he's top five player in the world, top yeah. ten player in the world at least. Yeah. 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 So I
1: think you know going into Qatar, um, I, I would I would hope that we 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 use his kind of his prime years um yes. you know well and re- you know if not gear the team entirely towards him because as like i say we've got Foden, we've got mount we've got sterling we've got all of them um i think you know maximizing these 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 years have came because i think it may it may be a while before we produce an, an out and out number 9 like like him in this country so we've definitely got to use him that's a great point
0: can. yeah I, that's a, such a good and i point to belgium you know yeah. the golden generation team you know, I'm not saying that Phil Foden, um, you know, his teammate Kevin De Bruyne is you know, maybe a step ahead of him. But there, uh, I, I don't know that you can really compare them. But I think that we have players that are a that little bit younger that have that bit more time and, you know, not wasting time with Harry Kane, like you say, not wasting time with Raheem Sterling. I think that he's proven himself to be the number 10 for this team and should be um, and, until, you know, his form drops. But we've got a lot of really world class talent and the ceiling is, you know, so it. I know it's, it's, again, it's less than 24 hours from the result, but there's so much to feel really positive about here. Um, there's so much to feel good about with this team. I think that we have a manager that has, is really thinking about the best way to use them. I know that's there been criticism of the back five. I've loved the way that the defense has looked in certain points. I think it's led to us winning some of these games in places where we would have might have let something slip by with just, you know, a lax back four. I've, I've loved the way the back five worked. I think that he, he had a big plan and a plan that a lot of England fans probably would have liked or liked to have, you know, thought they would have come up with, which is taking off defenders to bring in attackers. And I mean, I think at one point we might've been playing a back three during the final, you know, not for long, but, you know, at a point we were really, really surging with attack. We used Grealish, we used Saka, we used Sterling, we used Sancho. And the ceiling is, you know, really high. So that's, that. I'm I'm left with a lot of, positive feeling about this team and positive feeling about the future of this team. And I think that you make a great point about Harry Kane, not letting his kind of golden years slip us by. I would also say on that, I mean, we, statistically we were unbeaten in that tournament, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, so that is. Clean, that, and the clean sheet record and yeah. the minutes for Pickford record. I mean, that's world, world class stuff. Yeah. So I, I think Southgate deserves
1: enormous credit. And I think that the decisions that we've maybe like had to go out here, are all those 50 50 decisions where if Sancho yep. and Rashford come on and score in the shootout, he's an absolute genius. He's a hero. And that—that that, that right. is, that's management. You know, it can go either way. And um, if Phil Foden's ankle's fine, he replaces Saka in that shootout and that yeah, is what happens. Yeah, exactly. It's such, it's such a, a coin flip. It's such a coin flip. And I don't think, you know, we can argue about, you know, what is and is and, you know, what was right, what wasn't. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that over 90, over 120 minutes, these two teams couldn't be separated. Um, and Southgate was a huge part of keeping. You know, they were Italy were terrifying in that second half, and they only scored once, and, and they scored a scrappy goal. Yes. Um, and I think that says a lot about this team and his 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 tactical
0: fortitude, actually. And then, you know, penalties are penalties. And... Penalties are penalties. Yeah. But Raheem Sterling should have taken one, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Raheem Sterling should have taken one. I know you brought on Rash before it, and he does a little starter step and he hits the post. And okay, but Raheem Sterling should come up in that moment. Yeah.
1: There's also, there's a kind of poetry to Raheem Sterling, um, you know, missing that fifth penalty. You know, if he, if he steps up yeah. and misses it, it's like, okay, our best player at the tournament who Please, came in, yeah. who, yeah. who had this kind of hero's arc, and it'd be kind of akin to Murata stepping up in the semi-final after all those doubters, scoring that right. goal, and then missing right. the You know, the penalty, there's almost, yeah. I could take that more than this kind of the pressure put put on this 19 year old i know know, you just felt pure despair for for saka whereas like sterling there would have been a bit of a kind of yeah a
0: bit of maybe poetry um but you know it happens it happens happens. (laughs) well i know one thing for sure i've so enjoyed talking about all the matches with you and getting to cover this thank you so much for lending your time and being on the podcast i really appreciate it mate oh yeah no I've, i've had a great time too so thanks Thanks again to Wilfred Lawrence for coming on the show all these last couple of weeks talking about this Euro 2020 tournament. You can listen back to our episodes. I don't think there's an important match that happened in this tournament that we didn't cover. So thanks again to Wilfred. You can follow him at Wilfred Lawrence on Twitter. Be sure to check out South Dakota Loves Benucci, available on Spotify. You can follow me at AABritPod on Instagram and Twitter. I put up reaction videos to all of the knockout matches and even a little video for the final. So be sure to check that out at AABritPod. The All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. As always, I'm your host, Johnny McEwen. Until next time, take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.